back on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Justin Cuthbert, and Ailish Forfar. And it's time for our Insider, brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. That Insider is none other than Jeff Merrick, host of The Jeff Merrick Show and co-host of 32 Thoughts, the podcast. Back from Florida, we've saved the final word on the All-Star Game for this interview. We've been maybe talking a little bit too much, but we want you were there, so we got to talk about it a little Stretching bit. It. Stretching, Stretching it to it Wednesday, we're still talking about it. I know, about God, I know. It's, 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 best. it's awful. Wrap it it's up, awful. Jeff. Wrap there are a couple up. things I do want to ask you about, though. And namely, okay, that's fine. You yeah. guys had a lot of great interviews, but I think Leon Dreisaitl takes the cake. Is he your Pretty among good. your favorite players to talk yeah. to in the NHL? Oh, going away, Justin. Uh, good morning, guys. Yeah, hands down. I think, like, honestly, I think whether it's the way he plays, whether it's the stick he uses, whether it's mm. the interview that he the interviews that he gives, like, I, I think that Leon Dreisaitl, you know, might consistently be the most interesting hockey player in the NHL right now. Uh, and I, I still think we underrate how great he is because, listen, everything is in the shadow of Connor McDavid and Edmonton, and we get it, like, rightfully so. Like, he's already wrapped up the Hart Trophy, you know, all of it at the center of the, uh, the Art Ross. But uh, I think that... Um, the thing that I like about Dreisaitl is is he doesn't have he doesn't have time for chat. You know, there's like chat and there's talk. He has no time for chat. He has no time for you know frivolous conversation. Like right away, he wants to engage. And if you do that and respect that with Dreisaitl, you'll get a lot. You know, um, I I started the interview off by asking what scares him, and he starts talking about the sea and the ocean <laughs> and what's underneath there and how it terrifies. Like it's it's he's a fascinating guy, um, great hockey player, outstanding interview to me. Yeah, Dreisaitl is one of the most interesting players in the uh, in the entire NHL, and I don't know. <clears throat> I always go back to this, and we all remember the the series against the Los Angeles Kings last season. I don't know that like that was a masterclass in being a stationary hockey player like he was a table hockey player right couldn't move playing on one leg torn Achilles the whole deal I don't know how you do that he's screaming in pain when he when he comes off the ice that was a master class in as much as we talk about how the NHL is fast 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 he stood still for a series and was one of the best players in it to me it's one of the most remarkable things that we've seen in the playoffs in I don't know how long so a long-winded way Justin of saying yeah, he's always like I looked forward to talking to him last year at the European version of the Players Tour and All Star for sure. When you have a, a chance to talk to Dreisaitl, always take that option, hands down. How's his buddy doing? I mean, uh, the I've only been to one All Star game, and Connor McDavid was miserable during the media portion of that All Star game. But now he's grown the mullet. Maybe there's a little progress. Is the little Leon rubbing off on Connor yeah. a little bit? Even maybe just a touch. I think he's I think he's getting more comfortable. Like I, I understand. Well, first of all, I don't know about you guys. I was, who was I talking? I was talking to someone about this yesterday, um, about how as I get older, it's going to sound like old man Merrick here. As I get older, I really want to be around and appreciate grumpy people more and more. <laughs> like I find them, I find them really funny. I really, really, especially grumpy hockey players. You know, the ones that come to the rink and complain about the coffee and where's the tape and I don't like this bubble gum on the table and blah, 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 blah. Like I like those people now. They really, really make me laugh. And listen, the NHL season is long. I can understand, you know, when people get grumpy, especially if you're asked a, a million questions and pulled in a, a million different directions. I think that, um, 
I think that McDavid is really comfortable with who he is and his spot in the game. I think there's still a frustration there that there hasn't been more playoff success for for his Edmonton Oilers. Um, I mean, All All Star Weekend, he was happy. He just you know signed a new deal with CCM, so that's a that's always a, always a, a a good thing. But yeah, I'm always surprised with someone like Connor McDavid that. At this time of year, you know, like late January, early February, the dog days, because the seasons are long and seasons are really hard. I'm actually more surprised when they're not grouchy, when they're not grumpy, because a player like Connor McDavid is pulled in a million different directions and not all of it is hockey related. And there's a lot of responsibilities that come with being Connor McDavid. So to be honest with you, Justin, like I'm kind of surprised that McDavid or people like McDavid aren't grouchier specifically at this time of year. He doesn't host a morning show and get up at 4.30. That, that adds to I your love, grouchiness. I love grouchy then. morning people, too. I love <laughs> no, grouchy morning not people. Not us Listen, here, I, Jeff. I, I, one, one of my early gigs was, was doing uh, morning news with Humble and Fred. I did it for a couple of years. Wow. And, uh, yeah, they were grumpy sometimes, too. And I, I, I grew, uh, that's, that might be how I grew to love it because <laughs> Howard was, like, grumpy and hilarious. And so maybe I just associated <laughs> being grumpy with being funny. Plus, I always love Stadler and Waldorf from The Muppets. So maybe that's oh, wow. part of why I like, I like grumpy people. I went a bit too uh, before my time no offense Jeff. i know all right again see old man old man merrick who are these muppets you speak of yeah. jeffrey there i think i know them they're like fuzzy little things um all right i want to ask you about um marty walsh who was expected sure. to leave the biden administration run for the nhlpa uh, first of all yeah i thought it was so cool yesterday justin's already like laughing at how excited i am to ask about this he was the designated survivor yesterday for like the senate like I don't know if you follow how crazy that is, but we're going to unpack a little bit about his journey, but... The designated survivor. This guy is on a yeah. journey of that none other. <laughs> well, who, who lives? Who leaves designated survivor for the NHLPA? <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I know when you have everyone assembled, there has to be one to remain. Wow. To, you know, if something horrible happens during it's the crazy. State of the Union address by by Joe Biden, like someone has to you know assume the responsibility of leaving God, the country. I can't imagine that feeling when they're like, "It's you." <laughs> you got it, buddy. Wait, hang on a second. <laughs> Wouldn't wouldn't you want that in your yeah, life? Yeah, like, the okay, coolest thing really ever. Bad may happen. Can I be the designated survivor, please? I mean, it'd be cool to be there and you know watch all the catcalling and all that and hear a wonderful speech by Biden. But uh, can I be the designated survivor just in life, like in every <laughs> <Yeah>. situation? <laughs> can, can someone wave the magic wand over me and say, "Okay, Merrick, you're the designated survivor"? Um, you know, Marty Walsh is an interesting name. I mean, it it, it popped up. Um, to the middle to late of uh, last week, and it looks like you know he'll be uh, you know he'll be confirming these eighteen votes um, uh, by the by the executive committee. Uh, so he'll be named the next uh, executive director of the Players Association, and for the first time, the Players Association you know shifts responsibility from from one to another without controversy and drama. I mean, the story of the National Hockey League Players Association, if you've ever followed it, and I've always been fascinated by that position and the nature of the Players Association. I mean, you know, you go from Bob Goodenow to to Ted Saskin, and, you know, listen, that was a whopper uh, of a a controversy, how essentially what the NHL was able to do was, you know, get a salary cap in place, and, you know, Gary Bettman was able to present, you know, uh, the ex 
uh, executive director of the National Hockey League Players Association, Bob Goodnow, essentially, you know, bring me the head of Bob Goodnow was one of the instructions, and Gary Bettman did that. That transitioned to Ted Saskin, then Ted Saskin went nuclear, that brought in Paul Kelly. Paul Kelly survived for a couple of seasons. Again, there was a revolt, and, you know, Ian Penny kind of took over for a while, and then they went to Donald Fear, ex of Major League Baseball, and things were calm for a while. A lot of it was because, you know, the uh, the CBA and the salary cap had already been in place. There was one lockout as well, some, you know, threats about, you know, uh, dissolving the union, forming a trade uh, 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 trade labor group instead. Um, but really, things were, were quiet around the NHL Players Association. And now this transfer from Donald Fear to Marty Walsh is the first time that the Players Association have ever moved from one executive director to another and there hasn't been a volcanic eruption around it. Like, it hasn't been a forced marriage. It hasn't been a palace coup. So this is, like, trust me on this one. This goes back to, you know, Eagleson when he you know, first started the NHL, um, uh, NHL Players Union. This is unique, the fact that we're going from one executive director to another and there isn't a catastrophe around it. This is, in the history of the PA, this is, this is pretty special here. So the tidbit that he was a former Boston mayor, huge Bruins fan, yep. and that the Boston's own, the Boston Bruins owner had you know made multiple donations to his own political yep. campaigns, you know whatever sent money to him. That that isn't isn't conflict of interest at all. It's just a, a an interesting storyline. Uh, there were a lot of people, most notably um, agents. And I shouldn't say all, but some really had a hard time with it. Like, Ailish, trust me, this was a huge point of discussion mm-hmm. last week in Florida. Um, I mean, everybody was talking about it. Everyone wanted to know, get to know Marty Walsh. And a lot of people had various opinions on Jeremy Jacobs and his various political donations, specifically to Marty Walsh during his political campaign when he became mayor of, uh, of Boston. And there are essentially two sides to this. Um, there's the one side that says, look, when you're someone like Jeremy Jacobs, you donate to all politicians that can help you, whether that politician is Democrat, whether that politician is Republican, whether it's various levels of government. That's just what that's just what these guys do. And there were others and some key agents were, were involved in this one who thought that that was a, a conflict of interest and didn't speak well. If there was that cozy relationship between Jeremy Jacobs and we all know the power that he wields within the NHL ownership, mm-hmm. um, that that's uncomfortable, let's just say, for the executive director of the NHL Players Association to have that type of history with that person. So it all depends on whether you think that that looks too cozy between Walsh and a key member of the National Hockey League ownership group, or you say, look, this is just how business is done. You know, business people don't care what political denomination you are. They just want to get their interests served, and so they will donate to all political parties accordingly. Yeah, I I think... It, it just was, I was doing some research on it and I thought, oh, interesting, but if if they yeah. moved on with it and, and that's the way it is, and I, we'll, we'll obviously have our eyes on the Boston Bruins connection with him, but well, you, nothing you too know, much. You know, the, you know what the interesting thing is too, and this, this, was one of the, this was one of the conversations, you know, all through the search when Donald Fear was on his way out. One of the things that we wondered about was, you know, were the players going to look internal were they going to look for someone inside hockey? And, you know, Mike Gillis's name emerged, you know, quickly, former general manager uh, of the Vancouver Canucks, former agent uh, as well. Um, you know, was he going to emerge as the new, because that's the way this thing looked like it was trending pretty much all summer and, and into the fall and into the winter as well. Uh, or were they going to look outside of hockey? They went outside of hockey for Donald Fear, going to Major League Baseball. 
And now, once again, they've gone outside of hockey. And I'll tell you, you know, a couple of people that I talked to in Florida, you know, brought up similar points. And that was, you know, Marty Walsh has a strong labor background. Whereas a lot of people thought what the Players Association should have brought in because the NHL Players Association has no desire for a fight right now with the NHL. Like they're, the, the, I know they all grouse and complain about things like escrow. I get it. No one, the players don't like it, but I don't think they're willing to really have a strong fight over it, you know, to the point where you see, a, you know, uh, any action launch, whether it's a strike or the NHL uh, enacts a lockout. I don't think that we're there. And a lot of people, you know, said to me, like, why are they going with someone with a strong union background or labor background as opposed to someone with a stronger business and marketing background? Mm -hmm. Like the CBA is in place. You know, this is the document that everybody's working with. Should the Players Association not lean in more towards someone who can help grow the business, bring more money into uh, into everyone's pockets here and help market and grow the game? So there was that interesting sidebar. I mean, obviously, they went with and are going with with Marty Walsh with the uh, the labor background, but the, it is one of the the sidebars to all of this, you know. And they again, like they can surround Walsh with people with you know marketing and, and business background. So it's not as if you're choosing one or the other. But as far as a leader, there were a couple of people that wondered why aren't they going with someone who's more of a business leader instead of a, a labor leader here. All right, speaking of leaders, uh, torts. Torts' article or his yeah. letter to the fans, um, he wrote a season, season ticket holder message um, about, you know, how the, the organization is still building. And it's almost like a, not an apology, but it's kind of like a statement. It's like a state of address from Torts. Uh, a weird... Could be the designated survivor he could be. with the state he, of the union he right could that. be. Um, was it... Was it bizarre to you? Is that a normal thing? Like, I've never seen it catch steam like it did, but oh, yeah. apology kind well, of... I, I think I think why it caught steam is that it came from John Tortorella and not Chuck Fletcher, who's the general manager of the Philadelphia Flyers. Like that is a very deliberate move by Philadelphia right now. Um, Chuck Fletcher is not the most popular uh, person right now, and I, I think wrongly so. But that's for another conversation, you know, amongst Philadelphia Flyers fans. There's a couple of things here. One, it came from John Tortorella. Uh, two, um, the message contained in it was fascinating because for the first time since the Philadelphia Flyers were born in 1967, he kind of talked about a rebuild and kind of talked about, you know, this is an ongoing process and this season is step one and we're building towards something. Like This isn't Philadelphia Flyers talk ever. Philadelphia Flyers have always been, you know what, we're trying to win every single season. There's no talk about building and growing towards something. You know, when Ed Snyder ran this team uh, while he was still alive, every year was we're trying to win the Stanley Cup period. And it doesn't matter, we're trying to win the Cup, we're trying to win the Cup. And for the first time publicly, even though this was a, a, a letter to season ticket holders, um, we're hearing the Philadelphia Flyers talk about building. The Flyers never talked about building. They've only talked about winning, right? Like the Boston Bruins win the, the, the Stanley Cup, beat the Vancouver Canucks, and Ed Snyder loses his mind and says, how come we don't have a netminder like Tim Thomas? How come we don't have a goalie? Go bring me the best goalie on the free agent market. And they signed Ilya Brzezgalov to this mega contract, right? Like that's just how they react. Money is not an issue. Just spread it around. Go get me the players. Um, this player wants $7 million. We're offering five. Ah, screw it. Let's get the player and offer him seven. Let's just get the player. Like, that's always how Philadelphia has behaved. So I think a lot of people are wondering now a couple of things. One, 
we don't know what the nature of this rebuild for Philadelphia is going to be, um, but it seems as if now publicly they've acknowledged they are going to go through something. Uh, and B, who's going to be the manager that leads them through it? Like, I think a lot of people are wondering, this didn't come from Chuck Fletcher. What does that mean for his future as the Philadelphia Flyers, like every other team, is being shepherded now through the NHL trade deadline? So I, I think we're wondering about a few things here. You know, how, how much of a rebuild is this for Philadelphia? And who's going to lead it? Is it still going to be Chuck Fletcher? Uh, do they look external for a different manager to come in to, to lead this charge? Do they go internal and promote someone like Daniel Briere to lead that charge? I, I, I'm with you, Ailish. I think this is one of the most, and it's not widely reported, I think, outside of the, the Philadelphia market, but I think this is one of the most intriguing stories in hockey right now. I really Because we've, we've never, ever heard Philadelphia talk like this, and finally they are. Uh, we are fully in the throes of the second half, but the All-Star break does give us a, t- a chance to reset, either reflect or uh, look forward. So when you do look forward, Jeff, yeah. the most intriguing, it might be Philadelphia Flyers, but <laughs> in terms of uh, maybe playoff-bound teams, teams with real ambition for this season, what fascinates you most about the next couple months ahead? Can the Buffalo Sabres do this? I hope mm. so. Come on. Can the Buffalo can the Buffalo Sabres really like we all we wait for that that one team that emerges. Like the thing about the Eastern Conference last year was boring. <laughs> like it was done in November. Like it was just a matter of like okay, who's mm-hmm. going to play who? What's the seeding going to be? And we're waiting for that one disruptor team, that team to take a jump, that team to to take a leap here. And I, like a lot of people, I think I'm wondering, you know, can the Buffalo Sabers? And it's it's still a it's still a big task. Like it it's still big, and they have a lot of heavy lifting here to do. But if anyone's going to knock the billiard balls around in the Eastern Conference, can it be the Buffalo Sabers? And I think in the East as well. Uh, I wonder about the Florida Panthers. Um, we know how they went all in last year and scotched a lot of draft picks along the way in their first rounder, et cetera. That goes to Montreal. You know, can the Florida Panthers pull things back together? But for me, the the big story, I, th- I think, that I'm curious about, and maybe it's because I've just wanted some type of success for the Buffalo Sabres for so long, so maybe it's a personal one for me. Can the Buffalo Sabres do this? Can they scratch and claw their way into the playoffs? And if so... What does Kevin Adams do to help them along? Like we know that, I think going back to November, Kevin Adams checked in with the Coyotes about what it would take to bring in Jacob Chikrin. Um, you know, we wondered mm. about you know what type of reinforcements the Buffalo Sabers could bring in if you know they're close to to making the postseason. Which really, I don't even think the Buffalo Sabers management expected because you look at the <clears throat> excuse me, look at the off season, and they didn't go out and sign any huge names. They brought in you know Ilya Labushkin, who's a depth defender. They brought in Eric Comrie, uh, was the only team that offered him the second year on a contract. Everybody else was offering one year deals. I suspect the Maple Leafs may have been in on that as well before they went their uh, direction with their two new goalies. So I'm I'm really curious to see if the Sabres can do this. And I think they've become, I mean, fueled by the emergence of Tage Thompson and Rasmus Dahlin and Uka Pekka who's been outstanding in net. There's a lot of, I think, intriguing players that fans have attached themselves to. So yeah, long-winded way of me saying, mm-hmm. hmm, can the Buffalo Sabres do this? And if so, how deep can they go? Well, they're only three points out of a playoff spot now, so keep an eye on it. Yep. Uh, looking forward to it. Jeff, you're our designated survivor at 590 here. <laughs> We've made a vote, and so uh, hold Hang down on. the fort, all right? Stay in the bunker. Hang on. Out- 
Outside of Roger Lajoie, am I the longest serving member on 590 that's on air? I think you could be, should be. Roger. Be. Roger is the designated survivor. He is. He is. He is for I sure. got sights set on the Raj. Yeah, that's yeah. It. Coming for you, Roger. Uh, thanks for joining us, Jeff. We'll chat with you next week. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Chef Merrick hosts the Jeff Merrick Show, Coast of 32 Thoughts, the podcast, and our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online. And in the showroom, visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. I wanted to just follow up with the Torts letter. If you haven't read it yet, just go online. <laughs> Torts wrote this letter, right? Um, but secondary part of it, which we didn't touch on, was that um, Torts told the season ticket members and the Flyers informed them that the three April home games this year will be on them meaning that the season ticket holders will get a credit for those games and, and can apply it for their next ticket package. That's pretty good. That's like, I'll take that. That's significant. Hey, these three games, don't worry about it. It's we'll on foot me. the bill. It's on me. I've it's just, on towards. I, it reminded me of when the Tampa Bay Lightning wrote that, oh, that tweet when they lost. We have no words. It was like, we're sorry. We have nothing to say. It's like, we feel your pain. They, they started it. Yeah. LeBron, the why me? That's it. It's a, it's, what, what is There's uh, something going on. Is Mercury in retrograde? Everyone's a, like a little emo right now. I don't know how LeBron went from that tweet to setting the all-time record and having everything about him last night. Uh, but he did. I guess the ups and downs of a legendary athlete. Okay. One other thing um, we'll do for something to chew on brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Yum, yum, yum. That we didn't get to touch on with Jeff, but he was talking about it yesterday on the Jeff Merrick show was that... According to him and Elliot and co, the NHL is planning to kick off the 2023-24 season in Australia. Oh, so this will be a regular season game. As part of his show yesterday, Friedman reported that the Boston Bruins could be one of the teams making the trip down under to start next season. The Kings and the Canucks ugh, have also mentioned teams that could participate in this event. I guess they're on that side of the world, so it's probably easier, Marty right? Marty Walsh already pulling the strings yeah. for the Bruins. Like, yeah, you guys head Jeez. over to Australia. Just... <laughs> Randomly. Well, they went to China a couple years ago, too, didn't they? Yeah, I don't Boston? remember that. But Boston, Calgary, I believe. Are they picking the Canucks and the Kings because they're on the West Coast and it's an easier trip? Probably. I don't... Makes some sense. I'm trying to pull I up think. in my brain the flight paths, but yeah, it's easier than being like, who's in the middle of the country? Yeah, I don't know if you're going to send Louis. the St. Louis Blues. <laughs> Look at us. We both did the map, eh? Right in the middle of America. St. Louis. Yes, 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 yes. So, yeah, maybe that's why, but it'd be so cool to see them play in Australia. And you know what? I'm going to put myself out there right now and volunteer to take the show on the road. No problem. I'll do it. You don't maybe have to. Maybe there's a designated survivor. Not a little morbid, this, like, joke. Oh, my God, Justin. But, like, we're we're a little separate. Like, we're in our own bunker here early in the morning, a little right. separate from the rest of everything that goes on at Sportsnet. Maybe we'll be needed in Australia. The only thing that, uh, the only negative here. Like any NHL social media account is going to be so desperate to try and create oh like my God. Australia content. The Kangaroos. amount of bad, the amount of bad impressions we're going to hear over that week is going to be is going to be That's really true. tough. Yeah. And how many like are those hats and kangaroo comments? We'll do like a crocodile and, hunter. Yeah, parody. there'll be a lot going on. But just whatever. don't send Mitch Martyr to be the you know Ooh, no. comedian there. Anyway, that's a that's a potential next year to the bosses listing. No problem. I'm very much prepared to go take one for the team head to Australia. Great. Thanks we for that. It. Okay. Uh, we're going to take a break because we had John Morosi on the other side of MLB Network Insider, Bo Bichette agreeing um, reportedly to three-year deal here that just buys out his arbitration. Um, we don't know the amount of money. We know that it 
most likely is three years. Uh, maybe John Morosi has just been waiting to drop the news on us in the next five minutes. So that's on the other side of the break. And while you're at it, send in your wake and rake picks for tonight. The Toronto Raptors do play a basketball game. Finally, <laughs> we do have a real sports in Toronto to set mm-hmm. up. That's tonight against the Spurs. Could be the last time you see this team in action altogether. The here. last chance to bet. Oh, no, OG's not in the lineup, right? No. It's a bummer. Anyway, maybe, maybe we can find one last bet. We on should the do that. Raptors. All right, five ninety five ninety on the other side of the break. John Morosi. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL, the JD Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Fan Morning Show, Sports at five ninety. The Fan teasing that national anthem singer right here and maybe tickets that we're giving away later but before we do all that it's been a while since we got to speak to john morosi mlb network insider joins us on the phone this morning how's it going john hey listen justin how are you it's, it's a great time of year we've got the world baseball classic beginning one month from today all Jeez, right Canada should be strong love yeah it. they should be go go canada go we love to beat you guys down the down south hockey baseball no problem we'll just keep it going here <laughs> hey, it, it's happened before right uh adam stern 2006 wbc canada over the u.s it happened i love that you always bring out the facts uh never will you ever let leave us wanting um some canada knowledge okay john so brought you on specifically because of last night's news with bo bichette um agreeing to terms on a multi-year deal to avoid arbitration with the blue jays uh we don't know any of the real specifics wondering if you would because you're insider and if not um just what you think possibly this could be report like the reportedly um, amount of money or, or if three years is, is the term you're hearing as well. Right, Ailish. So, yes, I, I am hearing that it's three years. Uh, the exact dollars uh, we have not yet heard. Uh, ben Nicholson-Smith did report it was a, he believes it was around $33 million. That sounds about right in the range that we're talking about. And why it's important and why this, this happened last night is, of course, there was going to be a salary arbitration hearing for Bo and the Blue Jays uh, tomorrow. And, and the Jays are one of the teams that has a policy whereby they're not going to agree to a contract in between the salary arbitration figure exchange date, which happened some number of weeks ago, and the hearing date unless it's a multi-year deal. And so that is, that is the Jays' policy on it. It's, a, it's been a negotiating position. Uh, this, it was honestly the case for the Jays under Alex Anthopoulos as well. It's, uh, the, the, the name in, in MLB circles is file and trial or file to go, and that means that you're always going to go to the room unless uh, there's a multi-year deal. And so this was the best way for the Jays to avoid having to sit in a hearing room with Bo and his representation. So it, it preserves uh, some of the relationship. It helps in that regard in the Jays' efforts to sign him long-term. But I think it, it has to be said here that this deal does not give the Jays any additional years of control beyond what they already had. So uh, the conversation that we have had before about the Jays' need to, to sign Vlad and Bo long-term, um, that really has that box has not yet been checked. <laughs> that, that is still an objective they have to, to tackle. And, and really, in terms of signing him beyond this three-year horizon, Ailish, I don't believe they're any closer to where they were on that regard a week ago. And it walks Bo straight to his UFA years. So other than avoiding a brawl, does this do anything but see the Blue Jays lose, you know, what little leverage they did have in this situation with Bo? 
Yeah, that's a fair question. I think that it, it to your point, it, it preserves the, the relationship a bit from, from having to go to the room and, and say a bunch of reasons why you don't think Bo is worth the money, uh, which is, is a really hard place to begin a, a relationship in a, in a longer-term conversation about uh, the multi-year extension. Um, I really believe that is what the Jays have gained here, is just not having go to, to go to the room. And, and they've, they've gotten them at a, at a reasonable number when you think about what the, the end numbers could be when he's a free agent. If the range is $33 million or so over three years, that's going to sound great compared to how you think what, what Carlos Correa ended up getting even after uh, Correa's uh, contract had to be discounted because of the physical concerns. Bo is going to be a free agent around the same time that Correa was this past offseason. And and they actually were quite similar short stops in terms of with the replacement last year. So Correa ends up signing for $200 million over six. Um, Just doing the math here, that would suggest that Bo is likely, if, if he stays on this course, to be a $30 million a year player, not $30 million over three years player. So that's that's where this is going um, if they find a way to get him signed long-term. And I think now the big question is how do they rate his defensive ability and, and what does that mean for how they're planning to pay him into the future if they can get it done? Because his, his defensive metrics this past year had him at roughly a league average shortstop. And so the question is do you want to spend – $30 million plus over a long-term deal on a per-year basis for someone who is a, is a league average shortstop based on the numbers. I think that is the question in front of the Jays, and I'm sure uh, it's going to be a difficult part of the conversations they have uh, whenever they have them in, in, in substantive fashion with, with Bo's agents. So why do you think this was the right move for Bo Bichette, uh, understanding like this is probably what he was going to earn and he probably doesn't want to have those conversations either, uh, but there may or may not have been the chance to grab more money, more term, more financial security. Is it just that he's very, very focused on 2026 or this was really all that was offered and you prefer to, you know, avoid the legalities, go into the boardroom, hurt feelings, all that stuff. Why was this the right move for Boba Shett? I think from Bo's perspective, it's, it's the guaranteed money. Uh, you, you get a chance to, the, the old saying goes, um, I remember one executive telling me years and years ago, uh, it's, it's hard to pass up your first fortune, like real fortune. $30 million over three years is, is still it's a lot of money. And I think that w- when you get that amount of money in your, in your account to begin with, it probably takes a, a little bit of the anxiety away of, of having to, to earn your contract every single year. And so I think that there's, there's an element of peace of mind while also not giving up your free agent years. And so to me, it's, it's a win-win from both perspective. You, you get your guaranteed money. And you don't give up a day of, of control beyond uh, what was already pledged under the, the salary arbitration structure. So I think from Bo's perspective, it's a, it's a clear win. I don't think you would have signed this deal unless the numbers got to be around where he thought he would be on a, a earning on a, on a per-year basis. Certainly, if he goes out and wins the MVP in each of the next two years, <laughs> sure, he'd, he'd be giving up a bit on what his 2025 salary would be, but that's that's the risk that, that anybody takes. And I think that um, it's a reasonable number. If, if you're uh, guaranteeing yourself $30 million and, and you're still 24 years old, that's, 
that's a pretty good place to be. And, and I think it also preserves what he believes will eventually be a really huge payday once he becomes a free agent uh, in three years' time. I'm speaking with John Morosi, MLB Network Insider. Okay, so it's hard to um, kind of uh, replicate this same conversation when you talk about um, Vladdy, but it is sometimes hard to subtract these two from the same wavelength. Does this have anything... That, does this give you any insight on maybe what might happen or what should happen or what could happen with uh, with Vladdy's future? Does it mean anything, or can you personally not have them connected in your brain? No, it's it's a great question, Alish, because I think to your point, uh, we we talk about we talk about them so much mm-hmm. together, and we should because of course they're in the same service time class. They're the pillars of the organization in many ways. And right now, the reality is Vlad, even though he just signed a one-year deal, uh, Vlad, like Bo, they're both eligible for free agency after 2025, and they're still moving in that direction. I, I, uh, we talked, I think it was November, October, uh, when the Jays season wrapped up, and, and I believe I said that this is a really crucial offseason if the Jays want to sign either of them long-term. I still believe that. Uh, obviously, they, they now could... In, in most reasonable timelines, you've got until opening day to make that decision. Um, usually that's how things work. And then once the season is done, they're both only two years away. And, and that's the real stressful point. Uh, we, we saw the Red Sox eventually reach an agreement with Rafael Devers. Um, they had to pay him a substantial amount of money, and I think that the Devers deal is is emblematic of what probably both of these players would be asking for, but especially Vlad because it's more of a, a similar player, corner player with power. Um, so I, I think that the the amount of money that they have to spend uh, is 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 somewhat known. I think that the Vlad's asking price is is at least to the Jays, and I don't know exactly what it is down to the penny, but I, I think Devers' deal is a pretty good comparison of what Vlad would be asking for. And I, I think it really underscores that this is the Jays' window to win. Um, I, I don't see, uh, you know, Vlad, even though it's just a one-year deal, uh, I, I don't see the, the fact that his contract term is one year versus Bo at three really changing much of what the long-term conversation is because the reality is even though Vlad's guarantee is one year, the horizon of control is still the same. He just re-enters the arbitration process after this year. So I think from the Jays' perspective, they they know likely what it would take to sign them long-term, and, and they've got a lot of work ahead of them to do that. And if they don't, they have to confront the reality that this is this is their window the next few years to try to find a way to, to, to win a championship with, with these two players as their core. If they if the two are inextricably linked, which I don't really think they are, does this kind of liberate the Blue Jays a little bit in terms of like putting together that long term agreement with Vlad? Like, does it help that Bo has sealed his short term fate when considering negotiations with Vlad? I, I think it might uh, in, in terms of where where they both are. At least the the, the price points it maybe gives them a bit more certainty and awareness of of where the financial requests are from from both sides and from both players um i i do think this too that that as as you look at the other alternatives and options and we've we've alluded to this before that that there's there, there comes a time for most superstar players where um there's a there's a diversion path of and you consider well do i have to think about trading these players i, I don't really think a real path that is a reality at this point in time and i even reflecting on um, what teams can 
get for players who this level, uh, especially you think about Vlad, and, and if after here, let's say that they're, they're nowhere close to an extension, and the Jays say, my gosh, do we have to consider trading him? But my, my point on that is it is almost impossible uh, when you're trading a player of this value to get back equal value in return. It, it's, it is, I, I reflect on the, the Miguel Cabrera deal, the Giancarlo Stanton deal, Stanton had hit 50 home runs the year before uh, he was traded. He was the MVP of the National League. And, and the, the most famous player that went back to Miami was Starlin Castro. It just, it's a really hard thing to do to, to trade a player who's this good and, and get back anything approximating the fair value. So I think that for now, uh, every day that they don't have them signed is one day closer to, to probably losing them in free agency uh, as opposed to going down the trade route because the Jays are still in a, in a win-now mode. They just obviously invested a bunch of money in, in improving the ballpark and the fan experience. So uh, they, they are fairly committed to keeping these guys on the roster as long as they can. I'm just not convinced that they are, are really improving at the moment. Their chances of having that time include opening day 2026 and beyond. Quickly, John, because I know we got to let you go. Uh, there, weren't, there weren't really questions, or there aren't really questions about the nature of the relationship between Vlad and the Blue Jays, but there have been questions about Bo and the Blue Jays. Does this deal, the three years that we expect, at kind of the, the money that we expected, instruct us at all about the relationship between Bo Bichette and the Toronto Blue Jays? I think a little bit, and this is a this is a good outcome for the Jays. I, I want to be clear about this. I think that this is a it's a positive step that you don't have to go to the room. Obviously, it took them longer to reach an agreement on a 2023, and in this case, 2023 and beyond contract with Bo than it did with Vlad. It, to me, a lot of this comes down to, and I understand it on on Bo's perspective, what they view of his long term fit. Uh, the, the thing about Bo that I, one of the things I really love about him is that he plays every day. You look at how many games he played in the last year or the last two years, really, and compare it to Correa, for example, and Bo goes to the post. He plays. And that's one of the best things that you can say about a player. Uh, you look at what Dansby Swanson, and I compare Bo to Swanson a bit in terms of uh, athletic profile. You know, there, there have at times, there have been questions about Dansby's uh, ability to be a shortstop in the long term, similar to how maybe people, people have looked at Bo. And, and Dansby has answered those questions, and you see the deal that he got from the Cubs. I think Bo is potentially playing himself into that same um, area of, of compensation. And yet, let's be clear, Swanson left his hometown. He grew up in the Atlanta area. He left that team and that hometown that he won a championship with and eventually got his big payday somewhere else. And I think that um, the, the relationship between Bo and the Jays is good, that, that they were able to reach this agreement. I'm, I'm not convinced that it's good enough to, uh, to keep him there beyond 2025 because, to use the Dansby comparison, even in his hometown, after winning a championship, he still left. And I think that's, that's going to be the question now for Bo as we, we look to the future. Uh, great to catch up with you, John. John, we appreciate the insight, and uh, we look forward to doing this uh, regularly over the course of the baseball season. Uh, yes. We'll chat soon. <laughs> I, I can't wait. And, again, we'll, we'll get some good WBC talk in there as well. I, I think I'm telling you this, Canada's rotation in this tournament 
should be good. I'm, I'm expecting Cal Quantrill in there. I'm expecting mm-hmm. Nick Pavetta in there. And Matt Brash could be out of the bullpen there from uh, Kingston, Ontario. So uh, I'm excited about the Canadians here in this tournament. Don't sleep on the Canadians. Never sleep on the Canadians, John. Uh, thanks again. We, and we we'll, never do. <laughs> uh, we'll talk soon. Sounds great. All the best. Uh, it's John Morosi, MLB Network Insider and one of our favorites. Tomorrow night on MLB Network, he'll be unveiling the official rosters for next month's WBC Classic. That's why he's hinting at Canada because he knows. Mm. Tuesday was official deadline for teams to finalize their rosters. So go Canada, go. I think I saw that Jordan Romano is not going to be... Why would... It was an option for Italy, right? Like, why wouldn't he play for Canada? He's getting his septum pierced. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Uh, Yeah. Just quickly reflecting on Bo. It feels like... Not much was accomplished, right? Like, are we kind of, do we kind of agree on that? Well, I was never like, sound the alarms, put up no, banners. No, I'm, I'm not saying, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just yeah, like, yeah. we're trying to sort it out what it all means, multi-year deal, yeah. avoiding arbitration. Those are all good things. Partial information specifically, Partial too. information. It just seems like they're kind of avoiding the ugly stuff, which yep. is a good thing. But does it mean anything for the future? Does it mean anything for... Uh, these two parties in terms of how they get along, how they how they prefer to get along down the road. I'm not really sure we can glean anything other than, hey, they want to play nice, which is a good thing. That is more than we had thought previously last month. And the confirmation from John that, yeah, it's a good look for the, the, the relationship mm-hmm. of Bo and the Blue Jays. That's Ultimate, nice. Even <laughs> if the relationship is as rosy as it could possibly be, Bo Bichette knows what he wants. And if mm-hmm. the Blue Jays want to give it to him, that's I'm great. sure he'd be happy to be a Toronto Somebody Blue Jay. Somebody else wants to. If that's not, great for him. Dansby Swanson, sure. Like mm-hmm. that. Like this is this is exactly that's the situation. It comes down to dollars and cents. And uh, if Bobichet can get it in Toronto, great. If not, it's probably 2026 uh, Sayonara. Speaking of dollars and cents, how about millionaire, which is our code word today. Oh. For Chris Stapleton tickets on August 17th with special guest Marcus King and Warren Treaty coming to Bud Stage. All week long, we've been giving away tickets. The code word today is millionaire. Could that be Bo Bichette? Could that be Fred well, he, Van Vliet? He is a millionaire. <laughs> Text in millionaire to 595.90 for your chance to win a pair of tickets to the August 17th Chris Stapleton show at Bud Stage. We're giving away another pair of tickets tomorrow. And tickets go on sale to the public Friday at 10 a.m. on Ticketmaster.ca. Millionaire Chris Stapleton, who's also singing the national anthem for the Super Bowl on Sunday and is part of my prop bet sheet, which will be released today, I promise. Is it? Yes, I'm just tinkering, okay? Okay. I want it to be perfect. Keep tinkering. Is the over-under of his anthem part of the question? You bet it is. You're damn right it is. You're damn Uh, right. NBA trade deadline tomorrow. The focus has Thank been God. on the Toronto Raptors. It is uh, immersively coming to an end here. The Raptors play tonight. It might be the last game that we see with this core group based on what Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster want to do. Mm-hmm. Quickly, because we got Michael Grange on the other side. What constitutes a successful trade deadline for you? For it to be over. <laughs> <laughs> you want to... That's it. <laughs> is there a secondary thing? No. That you um, for sure. Um... I think we've come to the realization and and as hard it has been because we root for this team and we cover them and we want them to be successful and make some sort of playoff success a tangible thing, but they're not good enough to win right now as they're constructed. They have extremely talented players as we can 
all agree on, but the way that this roster fits right now, it's not good enough to win a championship. Mm-hmm. And Masai himself has been the guy that says, play in for what? At this point, that's still even a question if they could get to that point. So, unfortunately, with that being known and kind of an agreed-upon state, I think that I'd like them to take advantage of the position they're in, which is a red-hot seller's market, which is not always the way it is because it can often shift the pendulum in the off-season. Quickly, can I interrupt? Do you think it's as hot as we expected? Well, I think the Kyrie Irving trade on Sunday and the idea that maybe KD could be available in the offseason has made people hold back just a bit now because if you can get KD in the offseason, which is now a rumored thing, he's not going to move before that, are you a little bit less trigger-happy right now at the trade deadline? I still think it's a, a really spicy trade deadline. There's some significant players available. One of the reasons why I say that is because we've been circling the Grizzlies and Pelicans, right? Their combined record over the last 10 games each, 5-15. and 15. Yeah, but still look at the West. So, like, what, what do they think they are? Zion Williamson not available right mm-hmm. now to the Pelicans. Like, do they really think? Do they want to get involved? Do they want to go crazy to get OG? The Memphis Grizzlies, do they actually believe there's something after going 2-8 and eight in their last 10? I'm And the, all the stuff around yeah, John Moran as well. Like, I feel like, I feel like things have cooled a little bit, and I'm a little concerned about okay, it. Okay, so where I was going with that is I'd like them to take advantage of the situation Obviously, if it's the right fit, like that's the stupidest sentence ever said. But yeah, don't force it. But as of the last month or two, it's been the Raptors in the driver's seat. They're the bell of the ball. They're the people that are holding up the trade market. So if that tough decision arises where you have to make, you know, a a change to your core group of players and maybe to the reshape your roster moving forward, that's what I want from this trade deadline. You have several experienced players that are trade candidates. You have some players that you could risk losing in the offseason. So for me, if it's moving Fred Van Vliet, that's a successful trade deadline for me. Obviously, that, That's it? Because you were kind of like, you're dancing around it a little. Fred, well, I'm, gone, I'm le- you deem that as successful. All of this is saying with the caveat of if it's the right move for if the Raptors, the right obviously. Like, I don't feel like I don't need to say that, but you do need to say that if it's if it's you're not forcing ju- It's not OG just to get to be, rid of him, but no. you think selling Fred right now is an advantageous position for the Raptors to be in. I do think so. Okay. Uh, I just want, I just want one. Like I want quantity. Clearly, if it's going to be like a, a really aggressive deadline for Masai and Bobby, but I really do want one quality asset at least. Like we we talk about like that Lakers pick that could be dangling there with the Pelicans. I want something that could turn out to be an absolute boon. I don't want just like, hey, a bunch of picks that are in 2029 that are going to be 26th overall. Like, that doesn't really get me excited. I hope that there's one real premium singular asset that could help change the fortunes of this team because if you're just taking a bunch of picks late in the first round, it might be hard to actually turn this core into the next core. I think they got to make sure that there's a quality asset that is brought back in return, whether that's a player, whether that's a pick, I really think like it shouldn't just be about, hey, Donovich, mental package, quantity, six pieces. Now let's let's make sure that they bring something really, really valuable in return back that Raptors fans and media members can get excited about. And I think that's in alignment with where I'm going because if you're going to get rid of some of these core members of your team that have been a part of shaping this roster, I think you really are taking a look at what's next, and that's building around Scotty Barnes. So those supporting picks, Scotty Barnes. That's what I want from this trade deadline. That's a successful trade deadline for me. Scotty Barnes is the future and, and looking like the the present at times of mm-hmm. your or Raptors organization. 
The next few years is going to be centered around getting the most out of Scotty Barnes. He's now starting to show flashes in the last couple of months of being that player that we hope for, the franchise player. You know, it's still to be seen. But if that's where we're feeling that the team is going, then this trade deadline is very instrumental to making sure that that's the timeline that you're all working together. The pieces that haven't fit with this roster have been because it's not the right meshing of star players, right? So if you can find a way to maybe take a step backwards to take a step forward in two, three years, I'm okay with that. At this point, take advantage of the situation you're in. Obviously, you're not forcing it, but things can be drastically different in the offseason. Clock's ticking. What are we, 30, 32 hours away from the deadline? Uh, Something like that. It's going to have to happen pretty soon for the Raptors here if they're going to make a plethora of moves. If it's just one thing, maybe it's at the deadline, but if it's going to be a busy one, I feel like we should expect movement today, if not all day tomorrow. And I think it's fair to to not know anything until Thursday and maybe feel disappointed if you're thinking that the Raptors are going to shake this whole thing up and burn it down. Like that might not be the direction to go, even though we want that or we think that or the insiders might be the are right saying move. that. There might be a, a better trade out there in the summer when things are more clear for franchises, mm-hmm. might have more financial wiggle room. Like you got to count on them to make the right decisions. It just feels like if you're hoping upon hope, playing for what, whatever, it's pretty clear this team's not good enough and that changes have to be made. Michael Grange on the other side of the break, who's just on the two-week West Coast road trip and brought one carry-on bag. That was it. He fit his whole life into that. I need tips immediately on how he packs so efficiently. And we'll talk about how that road trip might have changed everything. It was a a weird one, to say the least. Uh, Michael Grange on the other side of the break.